You're listening to the Unfiltered Life Podcast with Charlotte Jonesy. Hey everyone, it's Charlotte Jonesy here, the women's coach. Welcome to the Unfiltered Life Podcast. On this show, I'll be sharing the highs and lows of life with helpful hints, tips, and experiences. I want to inspire you to step outside of your comfort zone, to turn your pain into purpose, and create your own version of success. As a life coach, mindset mentor, and mum, I am passionate about helping women through life's challenges. My guests and I will get uncomfortable so that you can feel comfortable, bringing you a real, honest, and unfiltered view. So anxiety is actually it's not something we need to suppress it's something we need to listen to you know anxiety is a mechanism in our bodies that's needed like we need that to survive sometimes we just need to listen to it work on it and be in tune of that rather than trying to suppress it we're we're all trying to be like i don't want to be anxious i don't want to be depressed i don't want to feel that way but you're going to have emotions and actually we need to work with them rather than against them this is the unfiltered life podcast with charlotte jonesy Hi everyone and welcome back to the Unfiltered Life podcast. So today I've got a really special guest. Uh, This is Paige Joanna. She is a super creative craft queen, a lifestyle creator who speaks openly on her platforms about health, including living with her own chronic conditions. I admire her a lot, not only because she's one of my best friends who's been there through thick and thin, but more importantly, she's battled with her health every day, but still continues to fight on and smile as much as possible. Living with Crohn's disease, arthritis and endometriosis normally is a challenge, never mind during a pandemic and having to shield because of it. I want to drive straight in because you're such a light in this world. I want to start with your diagnosis so people can just like understand your journey until now so when were you diagnosed with your health conditions and talk us through how you felt about it when you found out yeah so just to start off I'm 30 this year so I'm going to be 30 in May so I'm currently 29 I was diagnosed with uh, Crohn's disease when I was 13 so that's back in like 2003 so a very long time ago and how I felt about it at the time uh really I was just you know, had no real sense of the gravity of having a chronic illness at that age and didn't really understand it. I don't think a lot of people did really back then. There wasn't as much knowledge about it then um, and support and neither myself nor my mum really understood what it was. So you kind of just went with it, to be honest, um, did what the doctor said. And then I had an operation at 15, which was a right hemicolectomy. So they they had to remove a section of my large bowel and reconnect it to my small bowel. I can go back into that sort of later on. But basically, that was kind of really when myself and my family knew that it was like bigger than just IBS. You know, people assume that Crohn's disease is irritable bowel disease can be very similar to that but it's it's really not it's quite a extensive disease and you live with it essentially and then with the arthritis I wasn't diagnosed until January 2019 I was getting joint pain from like 2018 and I was starting to get it in my wrists and they thought I had carpal tunnel because I work on a laptop so obviously they were just like yeah you've got this you know a lot of people your age have it sort of thing and and, you know it just kept persisting and I started getting it in my knees as well and actually, if you don't know much about Crohn's, it's an autoimmune disease. And so is arthritis. They're both kind of in the same category, if you like. It's inflammation caused by your immune system. And therefore, they diagnosed me with arthritis because of the Crohn's. It's kind of like an onset thing to that. So yeah, so that that kind of was 
you know, a fairly easy diagnosis. And I, and I didn't really feel too bad about it at the time. Um, I think it kind of like hits you a little bit more a few months afterwards when you realise, oh, yeah, this is another thing that I have for the rest of my life, you know. So I kind of felt a bit heavy about it. Also being in your 20s and getting something like arthritis, which is, you know, there's a stigma around it being for old people. So you kind of assume like, gosh, if this is what I'm like, at, you know, 28, 27 whatever um what am I going to be like in my 60s it's not worth thinking about really but um yeah so it's kind of a heavy feeling at first but I'm completely like over it I feel like you work a lot on your mental health which I'll go into a bit more but yeah the endometriosis I have to state that it is suspected so I've never been fully confirmed with it but it was when I was in my early 20s like going through uni I kept getting like pelvic pain and like pain during sex and stuff um and none of my doctors were really like taking it seriously at the time because in your early 20s you know you it's just not really you just don't really get taken seriously by doctors and it was like an emotional time because the pain was really unbearable my pelvis so you know I had to rule out that it was my Crohn's flaring up I had to rule out any STIs and all of that business and it took over a year for someone to really take me seriously and push me to go to a gynecologist they basically just said to me because I'm because of my Crohn's I'm too high risk they won't do a laparoscopy which is the only way really that you can see endometriosis in a scan it doesn't come up in ultrasounds unless it's severe it doesn't show up in MRIs unless it's severe so yeah they won't essentially operate or do a laparoscopy so it's suspected not confirmed so yeah so I kind of live with those endo at the moment is kind of in control but yeah nice little plethora of uh, conditions there <laughs> and obviously being so young and having these kind of chronic conditions and knowing that it's it's forever I mean how is it actually living with these conditions yeah honestly it really does have peaks and troughs like it really depends on the environment I'm in at the time the global situation at the time as well I mean we'll go into that a bit more but yeah, highs and lows, I guess. I, I guess when I'm in remission, I am pretty good. And if anyone that's listening that doesn't understand chronic illnesses, especially Crohn's disease and arthritis and things like that, you can go into what they call remission. And that's essentially when your condition is, uh, you know, it's in control. They've medically put you in control of your condition. There's no issues at present. You know, there's no inflammation in your body. And for all of last year I was in remission until December which again we'll get to but yeah when I'm in remission I'd say I'm pretty good overall in terms of like dealing with it and stuff you feel like you're not living a normal I say normal in quotation marks for anyone listening you're living a relatively good quality of life and you're you know you're battling something that's invisible to everyone else when it is flaring up so it's, a, it's an internal battle a lot of the time because no one else can really see it. So unless you have something similar, you don't really understand it, I guess. So I was going to say, Paige, I just want to talk about that a little bit because yeah. living with something that is invisible is even harder because people can't spot it. Yeah. And just talk us through like an example of this. So this could be like, I've got a chronic condition, which I don't really talk about very much, but... I'll have days where I'm feeling so lethargic and I literally just need to sit down. 
but nobody can see that because I look like a young healthy person and likewise this probably goes for you as well you get that quite a lot actually especially from the the older generation I don't like to put people in brackets because all people do it to be honest it's just it's naivety it's not a negative it's just people just don't understand if they don't have it people saying oh you're so young like how can you have arthritis you know things like in the past where depending on where I've worked at the time I'm, I'm very thankful now I can work solely at home which is great but in the past when my arthritis has been bad and my knees have swelled up and I can't walk it can be quite disabling um so you know that is visual because you've got a visual disability at that point but then even so you still have to kind of confirm it with a doctor you kind of have to give your employer a doctor's note to kind of rectify your type of work and you know you're always trying to prove to people that it's there uh, whether that's with a doctor's note or something it's kind of like here's proof I'm not making it up um so that that can be really tough when you're working for someone and you're having to kind of showcase that you have a chronic illness rather than them just believing that you're in pain so that that's definitely happened a lot as an example I'd, I'd say I've had through the years I'm very fortunate I don't have that now because I work for myself yeah that's kind of a big reason why I went freelance and I suppose another one is just like when you're battling with a flare-up for example a flare-up is when your illness is having issues or it is problematic again opposite to remission and that can cause really bad fatigue because your body's constantly working away at fighting that disease in the body so yeah you you have extreme fatigue and it's not like tiredness like you get a lot of people that go oh yeah I'm really tired as well there's a real difference between like chronic fatigue and chronic illness fatigue and just being tired chronic fatigue you get like something called brain fog which I suffer with a lot I struggle like to be able to articulate myself to find words sometimes there's so many different things you get insomnia it's almost like you're so tired that you can't sleep your body feels like you've got a hangover we all know what that feels like but yeah you you feel like you wake up and you've got a hangover when you've not had a drink because that would be lovely if you could but um, like yeah you feel really rough essentially um so yeah I feel like those things like having fatigue and then the comparison between people like saying I'm really tired as well it kind of goes back to that invisible illness thing you know people don't understand it they try to relate to it I guess which we all do in life but um definitely a difference there with uh, (laughs) with that sort of thing something that just popped into my head when you're speaking about that is Ibiza that time when we went to Ibiza it was incredible and I will never forget because we just wanted to have the first night a few drinks and this is how debilitating it can be and you're in your 20s of course you want to party like everybody else does you want to have a drink but just talk us through exactly what happened that night oh god you've just reminded me it was crazy so we're all sitting around I don't think it was necessarily the drink I think it was the food that triggered it especially when you go abroad we were all just having drinks and whatnot and bearing in mind my Crohn's is under control at this point and when I say under control it can just spring up and just have its moment at any point in my life is very very annoying um and I just about I remember it was like 10 o'clock when the DJs were just about to start we're you know like we're ready to go and I just started getting such bad pains and I felt so sick and I I was trying to be sick to get the food up so I could just enjoy myself and uh I just couldn't and in the end I had to ask you know one of the team members to take me back to to the villa or where not the villa the hotel we were staying and um and yeah the next day oh god honestly I was up through the night uh, battling this in my own 
hotel room at that point we were meant to be sharing a room all of us girls and I was like no do you know what I'm gonna go stay in the other one I need to stay there because I'm gonna be up through the night the night I could just tell that those were the symptoms and I was vomiting until five in the morning and it didn't settle until then so I, I took myself to sleep and I, I woke up to a bang at the door and the girls were there already about to go to this hair salon and it was all you know the itinerary was fully planned and I just I felt so bad because I, I went to the door, just woken up from that bang and I was like, fudge, I'd like woke, <laughs> I'd like slept through my alarm and I just couldn't go. I had to sit it out and, and I was like, you know, I'll meet, I'll meet you guys at the pool later on kind of thing. And, and yeah, so it can hit you when you least expect it. And that particular occasion, yeah, you know, you're in your early 20s and you're a young girl, but it can just happen to you whenever it's unplanned kind of thing. So, yeah. Okay, and then let's move on to like lockdown because you've yeah. actually been classified as vulnerable. Yeah. And how has this affected your physical and your mental health during this time? So yeah, most of 2020, I was actually in remission. So my Crohn's had got to a point where it was under control. So although I was in the high risk category of COVID-19, uh, I was put in a shielding group, which is because I'm on a drug called azathioprine. It's an immunosuppressant. It lowers your immune system, so therefore your Crohn's sort of stays in control. It's scientific, I guess. I don't really know how to explain it. Anyway, it essentially lowers your immune system to a, a safe level, but still low enough that, you know, it puts you at more risk of things like flu and stuff like that. So it kind of puts you in a higher risk category. So I've just found that last year I was able to, like, really rest for the first time properly in years because we all overwork ourselves and myself included on top of having my condition so yeah definitely overworked and then finally could have this like respite if you like and I was in remission so I felt actually physically I was the best I'd ever been mentally however it was so challenging because I just you know I think it was challenging for all of us in many different ways but yeah I just found it challenging and then I had a flare-up in December um was hospitalized which I know we're going to get into in a minute um and that's really when I found it emotionally and physically a struggle most of last year I was very fortunate that yes shielding was difficult and I had to limit my outings I felt like I could do that because I knew it was for the benefit of myself and for others you know that was really fine I managed that quite well it wasn't really until winter time slash December that I really struggled so yeah and then you mentioned about being admitted into hospital during yeah. the highest times of COVID yeah. we're living currently right now. So when was it? In December, wasn't it? Yeah, December 17th, I think it was. Um, so again, it was so random. I, I was in remission at the time and I was doing so well health-wise all year. I was kind of like, kind of smug about it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and then I just had a day where I just ate a lot and I had a takeaway and similar to what happened in IB for that story I mentioned I just had massive bloating in my stomach really bad pain like pain to the point where like I'm writhing on the floor kind of pain and I know that's not good and I felt sick and I tried to just drink water and like just take it you know for what it was and just get through it sometimes when I have these issues with my Crohn's I can manage it at home but I just knew I wasn't going to and I, and I took the risk to go to hospital which is scary in this time and when I first went into A&E I won't lie to you guys I've had Crohn's for half my life over half my life now and it was quite a scary time because A&E was just so busy I got left on my own for like two and a half hours in absolute agony probably if I'm being honest the most pain I've ever been in with my Crohn's it was quite scary and they're just just seeing the healthcare workers in A&E, they're just so overstretched. 
And anyway, they also don't want to come to you as much because it's risky. So you, you kind of get the basic level of care in terms of like getting cannula put in and drugs and all of that kind of stuff. And then I don't know about you, Charlotte, but I went into this like middle ground ward where it's like they can't, they, you have to have a COVID test and they can't confirm that you don't have it. So you, they, they can't send you to a ward, like a proper bed, until you've had this confirmation that you're COVID free. So you're in this kind of like limbo waiting area in a bed that's just like in absolute carnage for like a day and a half until you get confirmation that you're okay. And that day and a half, I tell you, it took bloody ages. It felt like I was there forever. And people just, I mean, I don't want to go into too much detail, but there's like people crying and it's just, it's just not, not a very nice place to be basically. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you've got to look after your health and don't just sit on something at home, guys, if like you're struggling. But it was exactly the same for me, Paige. Like I was in this limbo bit as well. Yeah. And actually, when I first got taken, I was I was taken to the hospital via ambulance and they didn't have a bed for about six hours. So I was in the corridor being sick. They don't know what's wrong with me. And yeah. I was honestly next to the, the red zone, the COVID yeah. plague. The same as you, literally the same treatment. You're in agony, but you, you feel like you're not really being cared for. But you know that it's just because of what's going on. I also got transferred to this middle ground where you're just kind of waiting to know what's happened. And then the same yeah. happened with you. You were... Uh, left over the weekend weren't you yeah and um, bless the NHS so I finally got taken to a ward and I must admit the staff work above and beyond their payroll and they're there for 12 hours and it's intense like I could not do the job they do I got taken to a COVID safe ward but it's still like an amber alert you know the whole hospital is they can't say it's evergreen in any area because of like cross-contamination and you know all that sort of stuff and yeah, I got taken there on like, I think it was the Friday and I remember being wheeled in at like nine o'clock at night and I, I just had a scan two hours before they took me. And I just remember saying to them like, are you going to give me the results? I want to get this tube out of feeding tube into my stomach. And it was so painful. And I was like, guys, I need this out of my nose. It hurts <laughs> so much. And they just couldn't give me any answers. And then it literally rolled on to Saturday again. Couldn't have any answers. I was kneel by mouth. So I wasn't allowed. I wasn't even allowed water, but I was like having naughty little sips because I needed it. I was on a cannula, a, a drip. I was getting my fluids and then I still wasn't getting answers because I was there at the weekend and bless them. What happens is the consultants go home. <laughs> I don't know what happens, but you get these stand-in surgeon team and stand-in consultants and they can't really give you the proper definitive answers because they're not your priority care team. So you're kind of just left on a Saturday and Sunday. They're there for emergencies only and they don't do a lot. So you only really get answers on a Monday. So you're there in limbo during COVID time. It's so bizarre. Technically, no visitors. I was there probably about three weeks before you went into hospital. Yeah. And I was told that I could have, in the third ward that I went to, I could have my mum, but I couldn't have my baby and Matt, which mm. they considered two people. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was going a little bit stir-crazy that weekend. It really yeah. affected my mental health that's for sure yeah you know the only time I saw my husband was when he dropped my suitcase off outside the ward door and that was it I wasn't allowed to see him other than that and 
yeah, the whole, I was in for four days and I didn't see anyone other than the people that were in the ward with me. Obviously video call was a blessing, but you can't really chat because you've got so much noise and chaos around you. Um, so I made good friends. I always get, I'm quite chatty person. So I made good friends with the old ladies next to me. And, you know, that was really nice. And the nurses had a good chat with them but yeah you feel super isolated there's no no denying it you know I've been in hospital before many times you know this isn't new to me but this felt new and scary because you don't have your family there to support you so yeah it was was really bizarre and it did affect my mental health but I feel like I'm outside of that now like I'm past that point and I feel, you know, better. I've recovered from it mentally. But yeah, it does take it out of you for sure. And I won't forget, it gave you some perspective, didn't it? Because this was before Christmas and you were saying that some of the old ladies around you who you'd made friends with weren't going home for Christmas and they were going to be there on their own. Yeah, it makes me quite emotional to think about it, actually. Uh, It's really sad. And a lot of, you know, the nurses that are in hospital with me and looked after me hadn't seen their family all year. We we were lucky. We had a summer, really. We were allowed to see you. I know I saw you once and I saw a few of my family back in July, but they hadn't seen anyone all year. And then the old people, bless them, like they, they weren't coming out for Christmas. I was lucky to get out. I think it was around the 21st or something. So I got out just in time to have my Christmas, you know, even if it was just me and my husband, I was home in my home comfort. So yeah, it definitely gave me perspective. I think all things do though, like I was in remission and many days out of that remission, I wasn't grateful for being well. And it's such a simple thing to think about. You're not grateful for good health and it's no one really thinks about it until you've got a chronic illness or you've got issues or you've had a flare-up or you're in hospital and then suddenly you've got this life sort of flashes before your eyes kind of thing and you're like, shit, I really should have been grateful and, and really cherished those days that I was well. And again, those, those older ladies, bless them, they honestly got me through that time. They were so positive. They made me laugh. They made jokes. One of the old ladies, I'll tell you guys, she had a bum out and she was walking through the ward, you know, with her stick. <laughs> and she gave me life in that time. And <laughs> Just what you want all weekend. <laughs> there was one moment I did actually have to take myself out and go to the break room because they were rowdy. I'll tell you now, they were so rowdy. But yeah, they, <laughs> they gave me such high spirits in such a situation that wasn't like great you know um so yeah perspective massive massively and I think we can all take perspective in moments of life like that you know makes you reflect on the good things that you had and maybe didn't cherish at the time but also just on a day-to-day level like the day every day you wake up you need to be grateful you need to feel blessed to have that day um you know there's always something to be grateful for and I think health is one of the ones we all take for granted Absolutely. It's only until you don't have your health, that's when you start to Mm -hmm. go, oh, I should have been more grateful. I mean, I write a gratitude journal every night and there's always one health related thing that I write. So it might be thank you for my legs today for like carrying me when I went for a walk. Or it might be a thank you for my brain working. (laughs) Sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But do you know what? I, and I was saying this in, in my coaching sessions as well earlier. We forget, we take our mental health, our brain for granted. We absolutely do. We forget that it is one of the most important organs in our bodies and that we constantly need to train it. Yeah. And I always give this analogy. If, you, if your car breaks down, 
Mm-hmm. You go to a mechanic. If you want to lose a bit of weight, you go to a personal trainer. If you want surgery, you go to a surgeon. Or your mental health, then you either go to a therapist, a counsellor, a coach. Like, it's a constant organ that we need to train. And we definitely, I mean, I take it for granted a lot of the time. I don't know about you. Yeah, not in recent years. I've definitely been on a journey. But like, yeah, 100% I have in the past. I would say, I know we're going to talk about it in a minute, but like, I went through a meditation course back in like a couple of years ago. I did a 12 week course and it changed my life. And now I realise how important it is to like care for your mental health as much as your physical. Like I have a specialist for my Crohn's, my arthritis and my, um, you know, my lady stuff, a gynecologist. There's three different doctors that look after me. Why do we not have the same level of care for our mental health? Or why is it not like truly recognize that you have something like wrong with you or you're a bit off balance you go speak to someone or you go get help it's just yeah so yeah I definitely um I've definitely taken it for granted in the past but I'd say recently like definitely not like I've worked on I work it's like a daily thing that I work on kind of thing yeah and I think that's really important it is definitely a daily thing that we have to work on because otherwise it well, we, we can go down a, a downward spiral. Like yeah. we are conditioned as human beings to actually focus on the negatives first before the positives. Mm-hmm. It takes more effort and more work to yeah. actually focus on the positives in life. That's because also. we're always in this constant fight or flight mode because yeah. we ha- it's a survival mechanism. Yeah, I was going to say anxiety is actually, it's not something we need to suppress. It's something we need to listen to. You know, anxiety is a mechanism in our bodies that's needed. Like, we need that to survive. It's just unfortunate that in modern-day society, anxiety comes from small stresses because we're not running away from prey anymore (laughs) back in, like, the caveman times. But we still have that mechanism because it's meant for survival, isn't it? So, like, Mm -hmm. sometimes we just need to listen to it, work on it, and be in tune of that rather than trying to suppress it. We're we're all trying to be like, I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to feel that way. But you're going to have emotions and actually we need to work with them rather than against them, which is what I'm trying to live by now. And it's worked so much better doing that. So many people work against them. And it's something that I I was doing before this podcast with my clients. I was coaching them in that way as well, because a lot of us, we, we try to suppress our emotions and actually all we're doing is pushing them down, down, down. And then they come to the surface again. And then you go, no, 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 I don't want to feel this down, down, down. It's pushing it down. And then they come to the surface again and it's a constant battle. And that's why people go, why am I feeling this way? It's because you are battling against it. And, train our physical bodies a lot of the time but we forget to train like our actual mental I've got a good example of this my husband he works out five days a week he won't mind me using him as an example but he is really into fitness like so much so and I'm trying to get him into like the like looking after his mental health as well and he's been trying meditation techniques and I've been sort of guiding him a little bit you know here giving him some pointers and in bed the other night he's you know had a few nights where he just couldn't switch off and there was one night he was like I just can't, like, I can't switch off. I can't, like, let go of what's in my head. I can't, that was it. I can't clear my mind. Meditation isn't working because I can't clear my mind. And I just said, well, where did you hear that then? And I asked him, I was like, who told you to clear your mind? Where did you hear that? And he heard a video that said, like, empty your mind, empty your thoughts. And I just, I just said to him, mindfulness is not 
about emptying your mind. It's not about letting go of thoughts. It's about listening to them without judgment. It's about letting them flow in and out without judgment. You, you're never going to empty your mind. Our minds automatically think. We can be present and think about our bodies and come into our present body, but we can never empty it you know? And when I told him that, he was like, oh yeah. And I went, just allow the thoughts to come in and out like a train station. Yeah. Like imagine you're at a train station, your thoughts are the trains, but they just let them in and out. And and when he saw it like that, he was like, oh, it makes so much sense. <laughs> so like, why do we try and empty our brains? Why do we try yeah. and let go of emotion? Then they're, they're meant to be there, you know? I think actually that's a misconception of meditation and mindfulness is that you want it to clear your mind. My nan says the same. She always says the same thing. I can't switch off. I can't stop my thoughts. And I've said the same thing to her. It's not about stopping your thoughts. It is allowing some space just to be still for five, ten minutes at least. Mm-hmm. we are constantly like dashing about or doing something or thinking about the next thing that's coming up yeah. that's how our brains work I think we we think 60,000 thoughts a day or something around that don't quote me on that isn't it like 60,000 a minute not a minute but <laughs> an hour or something like that. <laughs> actually there's a lot of them um, thoughts that do you ever get this I've always thought this since I was a little girl I've always had some thoughts that I'm like oh they're not right why do I have those thoughts? Oh, 100%. Um, recently as well, it's something I've worked on because I, I'm i prone to quite dark thoughts and also obsessive thoughts. So I, if I get something in my head, I cannot stop thinking about that one thing. And it's really normal. And one thing I've, you know, I've dealt with when I've had uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, counseling, all that sort of stuff, is a lot of us go, oh God, I don't like that. And I'll give an example. I'm so open about this sort of stuff because I need, you know, we need to normalize it. We went through that situation in Ibiza. I won't go into too much detail, but Charlotte and I were in a house invasion together and it really triggered a lot of like panic disorder in my body and my mental health. And I mean, she'll probably talk about this in more detail another time, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, after that, I had to do a lot of work because I would leave the house and I would think, I'm going to get hit by a car today. Or I would think, this is how I'm going to die. Or I'd walk past someone in the street and I think they're going to stab me, you know? And those dark thoughts, I remember telling um, my therapist about it and they just said, everyone gets it. And when she said that, I was like, oh. And at just that moment of realisation that we all think like that, yet we all feel like it's so dark and dirty and you dare not say that we think like that. But it's so common. It really is common. And like... Yeah, I've done a lot of work to kind of get through that. I don't do that so much anymore because I was getting it, you know, daily. Whereas, you know, the odd thought might pop in here and there. But we all have negative thoughts and it's like, they're not abnormal, you know? I'm so glad we're actually speaking about this. I've never heard anyone speak about this, not even on social media. I listen to so many podcasts and I never hear anyone speak about these dark thoughts. There's negative thoughts, but I'm talking about the dark ones. Like, I think as an example... After I experienced PTSD as well, I would also think this is how I'm going to die. Someone's jumped in through the window or like I get scared that I haven't locked the door or the windows or I've had thoughts in the shower of just ending it there and then. Like they're really deep, dark thoughts and I've never shared them. I don't share them with anyone either. And I think the only people that you feel comfortable sharing them with is probably a therapist because... 
you you feel like you can share it in confidence knowing that they're not going to judge you. No, I've told my husband before and he's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, you're okay? And I'm like, yeah, normal. And it's so weird because you have that contrast between talking to your therapist and telling them and then they're like, no, you know, everyone gets it. It happens sometimes. You're out of balance, whatever. There's meanings for it. On Everyone's different, obviously. But then you, you tell a friend or a family member, you're like, oh, yeah, I had this feeling like, you know, I wanted to die or whatever. And they're like, oh, my God. And they cannot comprehend it. It's like, how? why would you feel that way? But I think unless you've been in a dark place, you've had PTSD or you've had depression, anxiety, whatever, or you've had bad mental health, there's some lucky few that don't ever deal with it, then you just, you you know, it's that's just kind of how the brain works sometimes. And, yeah, I think it's so difficult when you tell someone, like, bless my husband, he does, he's never really had that. So he just doesn't get it. Whereas, you know, it's so good to, it's kind of a relief to kind of tell you and you understand it. I'll be open and honest. The reason why I use that one as an example is because I had definitely postnatal depression, 100%. I spoke to someone in the end, again, therapy, because I couldn't stop these dark thoughts. Like, I just had a baby. I should be over the moon. I should feel you know, ecstatic. And I was putting, again, that pressure on myself to feel certain emotions, but they wasn't coming initially. And I just never, I will never forget just feeling so low. And to the point I had those thoughts, I actually didn't want to be here anymore. And I just had a baby because I just didn't feel like I could cope. It's like a failure for admitting it as well. I had Mm. it, um, sorry to cut in, but just very quickly after I got married, uh, just, I had post wedding blues that aren't really talked about and you feel so guilty because you're meant to be on cloud nine and I just I literally remember just being in such a deep depression afterwards yeah it took me quite a while to shake that you know yeah again that's something you never hear either because after wedding you should feel a certain way shouldn't you or all the pictures say that you should feel happy (laughs) I mean Paige's wedding was incredible she had two Is which one of them she actually got from a charity shop and embellished herself which she I mean I told you she's the craft queen um, and I mean she had pom-poms like yeah. the, the photos were incredible so you never know from those images no. or your videos that that was going on afterwards yeah. so that's the crazy thing on an outside level uh I was happy I've got a lovely new husband you know it's great um but I think you put yourself on a pedestal a little bit to be married couples. Suddenly you think, well, nothing's changed. Um, and not, I'm not saying that was what triggered my depression. I think there was quite a few things, really. It was not having a purpose anymore. Because like I mentioned earlier, I, I'm quite obsessive about things. With the wedding, I had that to work on for months. If not, I had two years of wedding planning. And after the wedding, I was like, right, now what? You know? And it was that feeling of like not having a purpose in my life that really shook me um, and it put me in that downward spiral I guess now I know I can articulate it but when you're in those moods sometimes you don't really understand why you feel that way until you're out of it and you're like right it's because I don't have a purpose you know you have to do the inner work to be able to get to the point where you can sometimes talk about it like me and Charlotte are able to because we've done it we've been there you know well when you've worked on yourself and when you heal that's when you can actually compartmentalize it and actually speak about it okay and not actually feel those feelings because we've dealt with those feelings yeah anatomy of an ad subconsciously trigger emotions through music perfect 
Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. You mentioned about Ibiza. Yeah. Um, just briefly. Mm-hmm. So like Paige said, we were in a burglary uh, in Ibiza in um, Villa with our friend. It was actually our friend's Sophie's hen party. So that was ruined at the end by, yeah, burglars. Paige and I went through quite a lot of trauma being stuck in a bar, a locked bathroom, didn't we? Yeah. And it was something I've never experienced. It was like my worst nightmare coming true. We thought we were going to die, didn't we? Genuinely. Yeah. And we knew that they had weapons because they were ripping out the safe, weren't they, that was next to the bathroom that we were in. We were in a locked bathroom. Mm-hmm. Thank God for that ensuite. We were seconds away from them opening the door. Yeah. I sometimes still get flashbacks. That's obviously PTSD. Yeah, and I have to have doors open now as well. When yeah. I sleep, I can't have a door closed because yeah. I'll never forget when I saw those shadows of their yeah. feet under the door and like literally lucky for Paige woke up and we literally got ourselves in there it's crazy isn't it it's a crazy story I put my phone on vibrate for the first time ever and I'm so glad I did because my phone was on mute because the girls had all gone out 10 of them and we stayed behind we were on the ground floor if my phone wasn't on vibrate I wouldn't have woken up to all the phone calls from Lauren upstairs who had heard someone come in and if I hadn't woken up to wake Charlotte up to instant reaction get in that bathroom yeah it could have been a lot different but you know it worked out how it worked out and thankfully we're safe but it did cause us a lot of issues afterwards didn't it yeah and that's what I wanted to talk about obviously going through something like that so traumatic how did you deal with it what help did you get and yeah um well over the years as I've mentioned I've had anxiety sort of on and off through the years I only really first got help for it in 2015 it's when I first moved to London and um I got CBT and I took some anti-anxiety medication for a year um, and that kind of got me out of it and I was sort of fine. Um, Also had sort of one-on-one counselling as well. Anyway, after the IB, for instance, it was back in 2018, I think it was, that summer, um, about a week after coming back from that, I had a flare-up of my Crohn's disease and went into hospital for five days because of the stress and the impact that that had on my environment, my body, everything, it it physically flared my body up to have an illness. So I kind of had that for about a month afterwards to focus on. So I really kind of forgot about what happened to me. And it wasn't until about a month after that flare up, I suddenly realized I hadn't dealt with it. I hadn't properly dealt with the the stress of it and the PTSD that I had from it. And same with you, Charlotte, like I'd hear loud bangs and I would get a panic attack and I'd have body shimmers and all that kind of stuff and sweating and going to the toilet a lot which is a Crohn's symptom as well but I remember what that night it happened I honestly probably went to the toilet about 200 times every five minutes and Charlotte will know that <laughs> you know it was bad um, and I had that for months afterwards and I lost a lot of weight I went to the doctors and they said well we you know we've already tried CBT you've had that in the past you've had counseling did they work for you and I was like yeah I guess but this is different I've got 
PTSD. I went through trauma. So they actually recommended, it's amazing, on the NHS, there's this, um, where I live in southwest London, there's this uh, meditation course for people that have chronic illness and it's 12 weeks course, one day a week for two hours. And you go along and this woman would teach you techniques to meditate and different techniques so obviously there's things called the body scan there's loads of techniques I could go through but anyway I did that and it was honestly life-changing so the way I deal with anxiety in my body now because of PTSD is very physical so it's not just mentally for me anymore if I get anxiety my body reacts so differently I have sweats I get shaky I can't speak I have panic attacks that kind of thing And every time I was noticing symptoms of panic, I could practice my meditation techniques that she taught me. And I found that that was like the most effective thing I've ever had for my mental health. Um, Again, it doesn't work for everyone I know, but if you really commit to it as like a daily practice, it really, really helps. And I actually wrote a list. I'll just quickly list through the other things that helped me. Listening to massage music, which I know sounds really naff, but it just <laughs> sometimes gets you in like the real Zen state. And being more spiritual as a person, I feel like this year has really developed. So for me personally, reading tarot cards, having Reiki, just having a gratitude diary, reminding yourself of the positives in your life every single day talking to family and friends, having a support system if you can, and just opening up to people and just things like that. I just felt were like the, the essential things that really got me through those bad flare-ups of like mental health, you know. And obviously those are things that you practice all the time. What if you're having a really tough day? What's the first thing that you do? Say it starts bad in the morning. If my morning starts bad, then... When I've recognised it, because sometimes we all do it, I think, where you get a couple of hours into the day and you're like, why is this day not going right? I don't feel right. Something's not right. When you get that thought, stop and listen. And I do it a lot where I fight that, oh, fight that discomfort that I'm feeling. And why have I woken up in such a shitty mood? You know, stop. I meditate. So whether if I'm in a busy working day, even five minutes, sit down in a quiet space just focus on the breath. I really like to breathe in for five, hold for four, breathe out for seven. And that really helps to like put my awareness back into my body rather than in my brain when you're overthinking and just instantly snap out of it. And then sometimes you might need to do like extra work, like I'll journal. Sometimes journaling's really helped me in the past year. I used to think it was like something that's, you know, only some people did and I didn't really understand journaling. And honestly, I've only started journaling in the past year and it's been unbelievable. And so I journal sometimes my emotions and then write my gratitude diary. And yeah, they're the kind of main three things I'd say that I do when I'm having a really shitty day. Um, And that kind of helps me snap out of it. I still feel like I'm bad. I've tried those things that I know usually work. I accept it. I accept it's a bad day and I try not to unpack there. I know we often talk in our like girly chat, don't we? And if we're ranting to each other, we just need to vent. And sometimes we just need to remind each other, like, just don't unpack there. Allow yourself to have that day, have a cry. And you might not get over it until tomorrow once you've slept it off, but that's fine and accept it. And I feel like they're the kind of things that I kind of live by now. Um, and it, it kind of helps, I guess, uh, during sort of bad days or troubling times, you know. Just um, touching on journaling, because this is a, 
more of a new concept, I think, um, for a lot of people. We've heard of gratitude diaries or, you know, writing down what you're grateful for. That's been around for quite a long time, but now it's kind of moving over to journaling. So just from your experience, for a new beginner or someone who's never journaled before, what would you say to them and how do they get going or start? First off, I cannot speak about this without giving huge credit to Barry, Barina from Emerald Taurus, because I had some sessions with her. She's a Reiki practitioner and healer. And I had some sessions with her last year and she taught me the art of journaling. And without her, I couldn't have done it, you know. Um, So, yeah, a massive thank you to Barry. She's incredible. And I essentially started by looking at my life history it's it's quite extensive but she made me do the work and now I can journal but you have to do the work first as a beginner I think you have to look back you have to look at your scope of life and write down so she made me write down all the things the big life moments that maybe have impacted me so I'm just going to quickly reel some of the mine off because I'm happy to share one my parents getting divorced when I was six Secondly, getting diagnosed with Crohn's when I was 13. Endo and arthritis, the health kind of picture, if you like. Something else that happened to me with my first boyfriend, which I won't go into detail, but, you know, sexual assault of some kind. And then the Ibiza moment. So they were like the big things in my life that I needed to work on that I'd literally never worked on. I'd spoken about in counselling, but I hadn't actually worked on them. So things like you know, the, the thing to your parents sort of thing is I, you would write them a letter, an open letter. You're never going to send the letter. It's for your benefit. And you write that letter and you say how that made you feel. And same again with, you know, the person who, who hurt me in the past, I wrote them a letter and I said, this is what happened. These were the events. This is how it made me feel. And actually at the end, you then say, I forgive myself. I forgive you doing it and whatever and you work through it and it it took a lot like mentally it takes a lot I would say don't try and work on it all at once (laughs) work on it a little bit at a time and once you've written those things it's quite heavy and it's quite hard to do but once you've written it meditate take some time out maybe a week out if you need to and just meditate and work through those emotions that might come up write them down happy or sad emotions that might come up write them down and then a week later come back to what you've written, read through it and highlight parts. And I remember parts where I thought I'm horrible or I'm guilty. Imagine reading that and thinking a friend has told you that story. What would you say to them? And then write that and be like, you're not this, you are this, you know? And then following on from those negatives, you write pages of things that you love about yourself. And so there's a lot of work that can be done. Um, There's loads of probably things that you can find online, but those were the things that I started with. And now on a day-to-day basis, I kind of just write how I'm feeling. I literally just write it as it comes in my head. It Let it flow. It doesn't have to be like, today I did this. Or if you want to write it like that, you can, you know? There's no right and wrong there. Get it out. Whatever you need to say, say it. No one's going to read it. It's for your own purpose. You know, if you want to write it like a short story, write it like a short story. If you want to bullet point it, like bullet point your emotions that day, go ahead. Whatever feels right for you in the moment. There's no right and wrong with journaling. It's just about getting what's in your head on paper. It helps to process it, articulate yourself. You know, that's it. 
It's really, really good tips. I just think for someone who's starting out maybe on their spiritual journey or they don't know how to journal and they've already done meditation because it's more available in terms of knowing what to do. um, I just think that's a really good way of understanding. Um, Just touching on Barry and her Reiki, she's a (laughs) Reiki practitioner, isn't she? And I've had it with her as well. I've also had a really transformational Reiki session my first one ever was really heavy I actually didn't know what to expect I didn't have this one with Barry but my first one I had was actually uh with someone I didn't know and they were over my head um when we were allowed to be next to people (laughs) remember those days I mean, to be honest, I don't really know what they were doing. I just know I had to close my eyes and think of somewhere. But it took me back to my childhood place and I was in my garden. But they told me to think of somewhere lovely, somewhere nice, either a beautiful garden or a beach. And I went back to my childhood garden, which is not nice at all. (laughs) It was in a council house. So it was just very basic with a swing. And I was literally sitting on a wooden chair. And then all of a sudden, like we had stopped and I just could feel this massive burning feeling in my head which I didn't know at the time until afterwards which is my third eye chakra Mm. and I literally had to go to bed I got back I felt so overwhelmed so emotional I couldn't believe what had happened and how I felt about it and I literally just went to bed for 12 hours I was just out and then the next day and the following week actually I felt really it felt really heavy but then all of a sudden it was like after this week something just clicked and actually it's all cleansing isn't it and I didn't realize and it was like something had changed in me Mm. I can't describe it like and things started to happen it was like I was unblocked from things that I was blocking like as in I'd put blocks in my way Mm. and actually it had all been taken away and I could then actually receive yeah Um, so that happened and then I had it with Barry as well the second time and again the reason why I had it is because I felt so blocked um I didn't have the same overpowering feeling but that's because I'd I'd never done it before the first time yeah anyone who is considering Reiki I would really recommend trying it. Barry has uh, services over Zoom. So she's someone who you could look at. Uh, The way I kind of see it, I've had last year, I had quite a few sessions weekly with her and it just helped me to rebalance. I know it sounds to some people kind of weird uh, if you don't really understand it. If you're very spiritual and you're open-minded, I think you have to be super open-minded with it. You have to let go. You have to go in with no expectation because some sessions I'll feel nothing and some sessions I'll feel so strange whether that's emotional or good or happy you know so yeah I had a few sessions and I just felt like it helped me rebalance and regain like sort of peace and a purpose and like just help me find that kind of like zen state that I needed at that that time you know so yeah really good so kind of like wrapping it up a little bit because we I mean I could speak to you all day you know what we're like (laughs) speaks to each other all the time uh, we do literally every day on whatsapp yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And something I like to ask my guests at the end is like, have, how have you turned your pain into purpose? But I suppose if we're talking about your chronic illness yeah. and how you live with that pain because it's physical and mental, how has it impacted you and how do you turn that into your purpose? Because you do do things on YouTube um you do you do lots of things to do with one of your videos I really liked was actually um uh you were talking about Crohn's and how to create dresses for them or how to create clothes for Crohn's yeah it was kind of like sewing and chronic illness and kind of like the benefits of that yeah um yeah I used to do a lot more on YouTube actually but I'll get to that in a second I'd say when I'm in remission like I mentioned earlier my life feels somewhat normal and you kind of live good quality of life, standard, you know, normal person, I guess, uh, peaks and troughs of days, whatever. Um, but when the pain is bad and when I have a flare up, it can be quite debilitating and it can obviously affect me a lot more, which can therefore lead to like feelings of low self-esteem. I tend to like really have this like love-hate relationship with my body because my body isn't doing the things physically that I want it to do. This is like another podcast for another day, but Charlotte will know, you know, my husband and I are trying for a baby, like all these things are impacted with my physical health. So you have that kind of relationship with your body that, (laughs) um, you know, is quite tricky and it takes like daily self love and self-care um and obviously the mental health stuff that we've spoken about you know whether I'm in remission or out of remission and well um and whatever like I still have ups and downs on my mental health and all that sort of stuff but yeah like turning pain into purpose I guess um I feel like having an illness because it is a part of my identity it's not who I am but it's a part of me and I have to accept that and I did I have accepted that a long long time ago it kind of gives me that determination uh to prove myself like not only to like to others that I can do it but obviously internally that I can achieve the goals that I want to achieve regardless of having a chronic illness so I have goals in life I'm quite a driven person again not everyone wants to live like this fine but me personally I have goals I have things that I want to achieve and I try not to let my illness set me back from that I just have to accept that if I am flaring, that it's going to take a lot smaller steps to get there. But I have to just do it and just, I visualise it. And if there's days out where I feel like I've taken a couple of steps backwards, it's okay because the end goal is still in sight. You know, um, things like the trying for a baby, the, the career goals, the getting a house, like they're all things that can happen, but they might just take a bit longer for me. So that's my purpose is to just regain that control of my life even if it will take a little bit longer even if there are days I'm in pain or I feel like it's a setback like I can get it I can achieve anything that I want to I just have to trust in the timing of my life and practice self-love and eventually those things will come into fruition and that's exactly what I wanted you on the podcast you literally (laughs) have so many words of wisdom and I think anyone who's living with a chronic condition look to you for that positivity like you are amazing at looking at the brighter side even when you're having your dark days um that's definitely something that's unique about you I've loved having you on this podcast (laughs) there's so much more I could say as well I'm like ah (laughs) could talk for hours well I'm sure I can have you back on and (laughs) let everyone know who's listening where to find you 
if you like creative crafty content whether that's sewing or cricket crafts or any just lifestyle things I talk quite openly on my Instagram stories it's just at page Joanna with two A's on the end of Joanna and I do have some YouTube videos some of them are a little bit older now but they are specifically about Crohn's arthritis and chronic health issues so you can find those over on my YouTube channel I have a playlist specifically for them so yeah that's where you can find me thank you Paige bye This is the Unfiltered Life Podcast with Charlotte Josie. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved it, please subscribe, download and leave me a review. If you learned something new or just really enjoyed this episode, then why don't you share it with others by screenshotting it and sharing it on your stories. And don't forget to tag me so that I can see it. If you're interested in life or business coaching with me or any of my programs, then please head to www.charlottejonesy.com for more information. Hope to speak with you soon. If not, I will see you in next week's episode. Lots of love.